This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave in the piney woods of North Central Florida, God's country. In the Mellon Law Studio, Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Fighting Gators, and we are protected 24-7 by crime prevention. Always get protection locally. Great outfit. John and Randy do a great job. And we have Julia Casio for service on any of your uh, needs in the uh, insurance business. Uh, on-spot cleaners, great cleaners, RR construction, uh, you name it, you'll see them scrolling. And we can always use more. And we appreciate those of you who donate to us. Uh, you support us very much in our research efforts. Uh, we got a great guest coming on today, uh, Phil Kirpin, who's checking in now from the belly of the beast, what I think of as the belly of the beast, although he's in front of us, uh, I guess, what is that, the Jets or the Mets? I can't figure out. Uh, it's Mets, yeah. Yeah, the Mets. Are you the I'm Jets? in my uh, basement basement dungeon home office. Uh, snowed in today. Oh, are you? Really? That's right. I'm going to get into that weather. You're getting ready to get dumped on here for long. Yeah, with the weather. All the way up the coast. Anyway, Phil Kirkman's with us today on American Commitment. He's the president. American Commitment does a lot of good research. We support it. We put the links out on the website. And we uh, suggest that you... Travel with them now and then and your uh, research as you do looking into all the issues that we need to really address if we're going to change this country. And I got so many funny things to talk about with Phil when we get in kind of our uh, out of our subject, uh, which we're going to talk about right now, which is the Internet. Um, I think I've told this story before, Phil, about the Internet, but I don't know if you remember uh, as a young kid. When the first time was you heard of such an animal, but I was sitting in a an adult beverage uh, uh, establishment one night, and I had a former student there who had grown up to be a man and was going to the University of Florida and studying something I'd never heard of, and he asked me a question I couldn't answer, and he said, "Ward, can you imagine the globe encircled by a spider web of light?" You know, that's the way, and I don't know what the hell he was talking about. And then, if you recall, they had ads where there was a young female that stepped out of a dark background that had a heavy cape and a weird kind of hat and just said a couple words and disappeared. That was, I learned out, learned later, was advertising for the internet. Internet. And then the other story I love about the internet was when I had one of the retired uh, representatives to Congress here in my area, 
who had served back to Truman, Roosevelt. He'd retired, and he came out to the school at my request to talk to the kids about government. Of course, he said something to them they never understood. He said, the best thing you can do for your country is buy five acres of land. Well, they didn't know what he's talking about. But I did. They would have been vested then. They would have been politically involved. So we're walking out of the building after the classes are over. And there was one class where in those days, Phil, I think it were Commodores, if I recall. All the computers that we had decided to take a leap and invest in. And we're changing over from the mainframe to these personal computers. Starting to teach the classes and all that. And Billy Matthews was his name. He was in his high 80s, 85, 86. He said, Ward, what's that in there? I said, Billy, those are computers. He said, without even hesitation, I think they're going to prove out to be the worst hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. There you go. Well, I think they were mostly a blessing, but, you know, there's always a curse that comes with blessings. So there's upsides and downsides, no question. I know. Anyway, uh, I tell those two stories because I'm sure everybody's got some, but those are my way. And after a while, we took, took the typewriters off the desks and everything else, and away we went. So I don't understand what you're getting ready to talk about. I read. Well, the, here's the thing. Let me try to make it as simple as I can. Is the Internet broken in some way that we need government regulations to fix it for us? And I can't I, – I, I've never heard a good – answer for why they think we need government regulations on the internet. And, uh, you know, they've been trying this for years and years and years. They actually put these regulations in, a version of them, for two years at the end of the Obama administration. Uh, They called it net neutrality, even though it had nothing to do with that, really. But they put public utility-style regulation of of internet service providers in for two years. Then the Trump FCC repealed it. But uh, when the Trump FCC repealed it, you might remember that all the headlines everywhere was that it was going to be like the apocalypse. Like if we got rid of these regulations that had only existed for two years, then there was going to be like literal mass death in the streets because the Internet was going to break and people wouldn't be able to get suicide resources. I mean, they literally predicted mass death. Uh, That's not like an exaggeration by me. Uh, They said it's going to the Internet's going to load one word at a time. The evil phone and cable companies are going to destroy the Internet, all this kind of stuff. And there were headlines literally everywhere. And I think that uh, the left is sort of embarrassed by this now because um, none of that happened. Zero, zero negative consequences of any kind happened. Instead, it was one of the it it was basically like the classic example of exactly what you want to happen with deregulation. Okay, they got rid of the Obama regulations. Private investment jumped dramatically. Internet speeds on average tripled and prices actually went down for a couple of years. They've come up a little bit since then, but still much less than inflation. And so we got better service. We got more investment, better service, lower prices, which is literally, you know, basically a perfect deregulation. We got everything we wanted from a deregulation. There were no destroying the Internet, blocking what website. None of their scare stories happened. Uh, And we had when the COVID lockdowns hit, we had like a real world stress test of the internet because the demand for traffic jumped something like 40% overnight. And, you know, you might've had a hiccup here and there where one of your calls dropped or something, but by and large, everything worked fine. Uh, We had the capacity from private investment to handle an overnight jump in demand of something like 30 to 40%. And you contrast that with Europe where they had regulations and they had regulators desperately calling YouTube and Netflix and telling them, you know, throttle your streams, down resolution your streams, or the whole network's going to break. And so we actually saw in a real world event, 
the regulated model fail, the deregulated model succeed, but the left is uh, impervious to reality. They're impervious to facts, and they never admit that they're wrong. And so they've got three Democrats out of the five members of the FCC, and so they're going to bring those regulations back, and uh, they're going to put themselves in charge of you know what business models are allowed and how much things cost. And uh, we're going to see, you know, if they go through with that, we're going to see a drop in investment again because you know you can't spend billions of dollars building a network when you don't know if you're going to be allowed by regulators to make a return on that investment. So uh, it's interesting that they actually have a paragraph in this new order uh, word where they, they kind of say, you know, critics say that private investment is going to go down, but that doesn't matter because we've got $65 billion of tax money from uh, Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law. And so there's so much tax money and the, you know, we've got, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't need private investment anymore, essentially, which is really frightening if you think about it. I mean, the idea that you can regulate, private investment out of something, replace it with tax dollars, have government control. It's a very dangerous path to go down. And of course, uh, you know, the left is no longer satisfied with economic regulation. So at the same time, they've got the rulemaking to bring back the Obama regulations. They have a new rulemaking that they call their digital discrimination rulemaking. And this one makes the FCC into the equity police for the internet. Uh, they're going to uh, ban, punish, uh, and, and so forth. Any practice that has a disparate impact on race or sex or, you know, the whole laundry list of protected categories, because now everything has to be uh, DEI as well. So they're going to be, we're going to have the economic regulations that we had the last two years of Obama, plus the new equity regulations as well. And, you know, they, they have no answer for why this is necessary, what the problem is they're trying to solve. And what I always say is, look, when the government takes something over and regulates it and controls it, it's never for benign purposes. And I think they want to have economic and uh, equity control over the networks because they want to silence conservatives. And, you know, I get called a conspiracy theorist when I say this, but if that's not it, why? Well, why are they, well, why else would they be doing it, right? And uh, you look at the way they handled things during COVID where they sort of, you know, leaned on the social media companies to ban conservatives and ban election deniers and all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, the, the vaccine deniers or whatever it is. And I think if they get economic control over the phone and cable companies uh, through these regulations and over the entire Internet, the equity regulation is not just on the phone and cable companies. It's on, you know, everybody who does any kind of business on the Internet. It's very sweeping. You know, they're going to when they want to shut up conservatives, they're going to call these companies and say, you know, you might want to do something about this dangerous climate disinformation or whatever. And these companies are going to, quote, unquote, voluntarily shut up conservatives because they don't want to anger their regulator who decides whether they can make any money. And so I think we're going down a very, very dangerous path here. And what nobody on the left can explain is what the problem is they're trying to solve. Like, what, 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 what's not working on the Internet that government needs to come in and take it over? It doesn't make any sense. And so I think it's a I think it's a um, I can only believe they're doing it for nefarious reasons because I can't see any legitimate reason for what they're doing. Well, I'm with you there. My instant. Uh, reaction to all this is that um, it's just another censorship tool. And we have been the butt of that. As you know, we were removed from YouTube because we dared to even have guests on who talked about possibly the narrative being uh, not quite above board about the election. And uh, and that might have been at the request of the Biden administration. By oh, the I'm sure it was. We were being monitored, uh, you know, little old me, uh, be, seriously, being monitored. I mean, they knew who we are. They know the word Scott Files. 
And so they they took us down. And the other thing that occurs to me, because uh, I I know there is such a thing as this. And, you know, furthermore, I don't even think people are doing it. I, I think they set algorithms to pick up certain words, and it's almost done automatically. And greater and greater extent even than when we got dinged. But the other thing that jumps out at me is that uh, uh, we've already got it. We've got it through the IRS. We've got it through the justice system. We've got it through... They want as many handles on us as possible. Exactly. And this is... Right, they're doing this through all these different agencies. And to your point about the social media censorship that they've already done. Um, you know, we've got a big Supreme Court case coming up in Missouri v. Biden, and we're going to find out whether it's legal in this country for government to suppress people's First Amendment rights by directing private companies to take them down. And uh, I, I really hope it's not legal. I hope that the Supreme Court says that that's against the First Amendment and uh, that we get some kind of accountability. But you know, no matter how that case turns out, we really need legislation. And Jim Jordan's introduced a bill to do this. We really need legislation to hold individual government employees responsible when they direct private companies to violate people's First Amendment rights. Uh, at a minimum, they should be fired. Uh, I think they should be criminally responsible as well. Uh, but right now, nothing happens to them. All right. And so even if the Supreme Court says, oh, that was unconstitutional, but all those guys, nothing, nothing will happen to them because there's no law punishing the government employees who do these things. So I think we really, we really need to get something like that passed. And talking about Supreme Court, um, they like to get a hold of that too. They've already started a smear job on that from John Kerry uh, running his yak up the flagpole to uh, anybody else who's got a dog in a hunt. If he doesn't have a dog in a hunt, he invents a dog and sticks him in there. This whole thing about um, coming up the election they're, they're getting beat up so badly with Sleepy Joe that they've got to start, start throwing some water on the fires. And the main thing to do it right now, it appears, would be the Supreme Court. Because as you say, they've got a couple of big cases. Not just one, but they got them also kind of spread out. So if the court were to rule in the favor of common sense, let's say, uh, we'd have a radically different playing field. But they want to control every aspect of the playing field. Well, the Supreme Court actually uh, earlier this week uh, on Wednesday heard a case called Loper Bright, uh, which could be a major landmark case uh, in terms of how much power the federal bureaucracy has uh, to sort of create their own laws and policies without our elected representatives in Congress. And I thought the oral argument went really well in that case. It's an interesting case. Uh, There are these herring fishing boats uh, that the government through the National Fish and Wildlife Service said, you're required to buy, to hire monitors to go on your boat to make sure you're not overfishing. And you have to pay the monitors yourself. 700 bucks, 700 bucks. $700 a day. And the the actual law says that monitors can't cost more than 2% of annual profits and it costs them 20%. So it's totally in violation of the law. And it was actually lobbied for by big fishing operations on the West Coast that wanted monitors. Food seven hundred dollars is nothing for them because you know for them herring is bait, right? They're catching you know how they're catching big fish. It's a different economic ball game. And so they they actually said, "Great, put these regulations in." And meanwhile, it destroys these small fishermen in the Atlantic that are fishing herring. And they said, "There's nothing in the law to support this. Zero, zilcho." 
And so they went to the Supreme Court, and I think they're definitely going to get the regulation struck down. But it's also, I think, pretty likely that the Supreme Court is going to say that the 1984 Chevron case that said that courts need to defer to any agency interpretation unless it's arbitrary and capricious, I think they're going to overturn that. And they're going to say the courts have to actually uh, impose the best reading of the law, the most logical, most you know justified based on the words of the law, uh, rather than just letting agencies do whatever they want. And uh, that could be a major, major moment uh, in dialing back the abuses of power that we see throughout kind of all these regulatory agencies and maybe forcing Congress to make these decisions themselves instead of just writing vague laws and leaving it all up to the agencies. And so uh, that's probably the biggest case uh, at the Supreme Court this term. And you know how that's going. You've got people like Adam Schiff, um, who's over Well, they're going to attack the court ward. Well, you know, the court exactly. does the right thing. They're going to say this is an evil, corrupt, right-wing billionaire court, and we need to destroy it and pack the court and expand it. Or, or, yeah, I mean, they, they're just going to go scorched earth, attack the, you know, go to the justices' homes, all the same stuff they did uh, on the abortion case. They're just going to keep the drumbeat going, trying to destroy kind of one of the key institutions of our country. That's what they're doing. Absolutely. They're going to use abortion as one of the mer- worst misreadings of the Constitution. I don't think they bother to read it. You know, uh, they just think it's somewhere in the back. (laughs) No, they just make up what they needed to say and wait for somebody to catch them. Or in the case of these hapless fishermen, wait for them to think of that, taking time out in the day to muster up the money or whatever, then get to round up the lawyer, round up all that and get going. By the way, Ward, a lot of these monitors have never been on a boat before. They get seasick. I mean, they're not even ah. like, they, it's like a, it's like a one day training course. I mean, seriously, these people have no business being on these boats and getting $700 a day. Don't let Phil Kirpin, President American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.org. And uh, we always like to hear what Phil is working on there in DC. He snowed in today and uh, it's going to be a pretty snowy weekend. Uh, and so maybe Phil will be hapless contained in his basement studio working away. I'm, I'm wearing my Brandon Brown shirt, a subtle <laughs> message to our president. Yeah. So uh, now we're talking about um, a really this is what bothers me. I've talked about Ted Yoho uh, with him about it. He's been on the show some. Um, the tapestry of attack, I guess is the way I, I'm, I've got quilts on the mind because I know the women and our family used to make quilts out of this and that. But it was one piece of blanket when it was done. That's the way the Democrats attack democracy. And then on top of it, they have figured out that you want to reverse the madness and say that you've made the quilt to attack those who are attacking them. It's great. We're attacking democracy. No, well, it's like a through the looking glass moment, right? Because for they. There literally are headlines now in left-wing publications saying that the only way to save democracy is to ban Donald Trump from the ballot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we're going to save democracy by not letting you vote for president. Yeah. I I mean, it's like, I don't even know what, sometimes they're so brazen and so outrageous and over the top in the insane things they say, you almost don't even know what to, like, what, what do you even, what do you even say? What do you even say? They're... Well, we have a uh, kind of a list that we've compiled here over our discussions with people. And at the top of our list, what we need is a leadership change. You know, you could talk about the border 
You can talk about the debt, which we do. Uh, you can talk about uh, um, justice. But we don't, you know, Phil, I'm a teacher. I came from the classroom. a conservative guy. I very much, you know, taught that as a, as, as a, as a style. I see nothing but wasted teaching moments from the bully pulpit of the president's office. I mean, one after another. If we abused our position in front of the classroom the way the president does, this president, in front of the country, we'd run the guy out. I mean, it, really, it, we'd run the guy out. Well, I, look, you look at literally any poll, and most people know he's not doing a good job. I mean, I, I, I don't. I think it's crazy that they're renominating him, but you know they don't. They don't have anyone. Well, what's the bench of the Democratic Party? They're going to run Kamala, Gavin Newsom. I mean, I, I don't. Maybe Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer from Michigan. I mean, I don't know. There are all these people who say they're going to they're going to swap him out at the last moment or something like that. But I think they're going to stick with him because what they have behind him is even worse. Uh, and so, you know, they're going to try to drag him through. And they've got all of the institutions. They've got all of the media. They've got all of you know the educational establishment. They've got the the big tech companies, and they're going to try to sort of you know prop him up and carry him through. And they may be able to. Especially if they can do mass mail-in voting again and go door to door and collect all the ballots and oh, stack yeah. them up in boxes and truck them in, you know, it's uh, they've got an ability to produce turnout that's substantially higher than Republicans do because uh, number one, they are willing to break rules, but number two, they don't even have to in a lot of places because they change the rules to make it totally legal to go door to door and collect every ballot and stack them up. It's becoming more and more clear. Correct me if I'm wrong. As we get farther away from the COVID that Biden got elected because of COVID. Oh, yeah. With his but to be fair, I mean, Trump made some mistakes. Uh, he stuck with Fauci and Burks way too long. And, yeah. Uh, he sort of, you know, he actually had all the right instincts, but he didn't get control of what was happening in his own administration. And so, you know, even when his CDC director came out and said, all the schools should be open and all that, it, it, CDC website still said they shouldn't be. So they didn't get control over the bureaucracy. So even when he said the right things, he, it didn't filter down. And that's a big problem we have in general. In Republican administrations, you can put good people at the top of agencies, but if they don't find a way to wrestle control of what's underneath, they're just still going to be doing bad things. And I think that was our biggest problem. You know, COVID destroyed the Trump presidency, and it was probably by design. It was probably because of saboteurs. I'll never forget that summer, uh, June 2020, when the American Association of Pediatrics put out a big study saying all the schools should be open, kids need to be in school, don't worry about six feet, don't worry about masks, excellent study. And I said, great, we've got the biggest pediatrician organization in the country, came out on the right side, we're not going to have another destroyed school year. And then Trump came out and said all the schools should be open, and within a week they reversed 180 degrees and they issued a new statement jointly with the teachers union saying you know but if there's a lot of COVID around you should close and what what could possibly explain that other than the medical establishment of this country the biggest pediatrician organization wanted trump to lose and was willing to sacrifice kids to do it how else can you explain that how else can you explain that flip-flop in one week 180 degrees wow i gotta sit here and think about that wow and behind that flip-flop, let me ask you this. Because there's people over there on 
having this conversation. I, I mean, there's some states that ignored it anyway, like your state, but I mean, it's pretty hard to ignore, you know, the pediatricians right, and right. the CDC and all of that. But I'm talking about the deliberate release and dissemination of the virus. Oh, yeah, I don't think that was deliberate. I think that was that accidental okay. leak. But, you know, I think that, look, it's speculation now because we don't know exactly what happened. But I think that I think that the virus was the product of lab research that was funded with U.S. taxpayer dollars uh, through NIH and, and DOD. Uh, it was basically illegal research, which is why it couldn't be done in the U.S. So we surreptitiously funded it to be done in China. And I think that's why they freaked out and panicked and locked down and everything else, because they, they're like, oh, you know, this, you got Fauci and Collins, and these guys saying, oh, my God, they're going to, like, figure out that this came from us. <laughs> we were we were doing this. And I think that's why they panicked and threw the whole pandemic response playbook out the window. And we got the horrible response that we did. And, you know, we, unfortunately, we may never know exactly what happened. But uh, that feels to me like the most likely scenario, because the panicked response and the lockdowns and all of that. That's not in any pandemic response playbook or pre-pandemic guidance. It all said the opposite. It all said, don't panic, keep society functioning as best you can. And why would they have thrown all of that out unless they were covering their own behinds, right? Uh, and and I, in a personal panic mode, which is what I think happened. Uh, and, you know, we, everyone likes to bash China and say, oh, my God, it came from China. And it's like, that's true. But like, we, they were funding it. It was U.S. funded. It was our money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was our money that was funding it in the lab in China, which is to me the most outrageous part of all of this. Got a comment here. Um, to what extent are these conversations? Uh, well, they're certainly aided and abetted by, I would say, the UN and their globalist uh, uh, minions. You know. Do you entertain that conversation at American Commitment and look into it? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that uh, there's no question we've got a global elite that wants essentially one world government. Uh, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think they want uh, centralized control over people's lives. And that's what the entire global warming agenda has been about for 30 years. And I think they were, frankly, very excited by COVID, very excited that people were being compliant, that they could implement lockdowns, that they could implement mandates, that they could tell people what to do and they would actually do it. And if you go on the World Economic Forum website, they've actually got a web page that explains how COVID lockdowns were like the trial run for what they want to do on climate. It's not a conspiracy theory if they post it on their website and say, this is what we want to do. It's a conspiracy fact. And so I was uh, I, I loved what Javier Malay did uh, this week, where he actually went to the World Economic Forum and said to their faces that socialism doesn't work, that central planning is a disaster, that we need to stand up for Western civilization against. I mean, he said to them, the world needs to revolt against you, basically, to their faces. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that the vast majority of the American people want to make their own decisions. They want to make their own decisions about what car they drive, what kind of appliances they have, how their kids are educated. Uh, they do not want that to be dictated by bureaucrats in Washington or, or you know, you know, even higher level global <laughs> bureaucrats in Davos or, or uh, wherever. And so I, I do think that a big part of the agenda of the left is always moving power to higher levels. Okay, they don't want... They definitely don't want you making decisions for yourself and your family, but they also don't want decisions at the local level. They don't want decisions at the state level. Even the national level isn't as good for them as the global level. And uh, that's because they have this utopian view that they know what's best for everyone. 
And, uh, you know, if you think you know what's best for everyone, you're impose it on impose it on the whole world and everything will work wonderfully. And they are impervious to the lessons of history. So they do not care that every time, every time, every time central planning has been tried to fail spectacularly, they just think, you know, it's what Hayek called the, the fatal conceit. They think even though it failed every time before, they're the ones who are smart enough to make it work. So this time central planning will work because they're so clever and so smart uh, that, that they'll uh, get right what other people got wrong before and they don't learn. And that's why we have these same problems over and over and over again. And so, look, I don't think, I don't think it's a conspiracy at all. I think that there are people that are, that are actively trying to impose global governance and uh, talk about it and brag about it. And they see crises as opportunities to, to advance that view. And uh, actually, if you go to if you go to committee to unleash prosperity dot com today, which is the other group that I work with, with uh, Steve Moore and Larry Kudlow and, and Steve Forbes and Art Laffer. What is that? Again, Phil? What is that? Uh, committee to unleash prosperity dot com okay. is sort of like the super group of supply siders. So I'm, I'm proud to we'll be see a, pro- a, a production. Can you put that on the chat line, please? Go ahead, Phil. Um, we've actually got a brand new poll. Uh, that we just had Scott Rasmussen do. And we, we were trying to figure out the differences between normal people and the elites, people who have high income, went to one oh, of the yeah. schools, live in neighborhoods where everyone else has high income. And so we, we developed, you can see the exact definition, but we developed a definition of, 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 of an elite. And then we pulled a bunch of questions and the divide was unbelievable. Uh, the, the elites, uh, think that people have too much freedom. They think the problem in this country is that people have too much freedom. We need to have more government control over them. Uh, they want to ban all kinds of things. They want to ban gas cars and gas stoves and you know the whole laundry list, all of that. Uh, and they're doing fabulously well financially under Biden while everyone else is suffering. And so we've got a big problem that we've got an elite class in this country that has no connection to the American people. They feel their allegiance and uh you know they they feel that their in group are these global elites and the people in davos and the people at the united nations and so on and so forth and so um the view of these people that are that populate all of the elite media and the you know the elite universities and uh the the government agencies uh their view on almost every issue is that they know what's good for you better than you know for yourself and so for your benefit they're going to take away your freedom and they're going to make decisions for you and they're going to ban things that you want. And of course, you know, that's the most dangerous kind of tyranny there is. Like when, you know, when they think that they're, when they think that they're uh, helping you and, you know, there, there's some famous quotes to that effect, but we've got a, we've got an enormous divide uh, between the elites and everyone else. And uh, that drives so much of what we're seeing so much, so much that is completely irrational and crazy to us that sort of laugh lines to us about banning this and that and say, um, they're serious about it. They believe in it. They think you don't know. They think you don't know what's good for you. And they're going to, they're going to tell you and they're going to force you. And of course that was a huge impulse during COVID. That's why we had lockdowns and mask mandates and vaccine mandates, because you're too stupid to know what's good for you. And they see, think the same thing about climate. They think the same thing about economics generally. And uh, that's the, and they've taken over the Democratic Party and maybe half of the Republican Party. And there's the other thing in this poll where this was the scariest thing to me. The elites who identify as Republican, their views are like the elites. It's not like Republicans. <laughs> it's Isn't the, that the truth? Isn't that the yeah. truth? Yeah. Yeah. Is that the definition, therefore, of a rhino? I would think so. I mean, not, you know, people who have those views can't be a real Republican in my mind. So I would think yeah. so. Well, this item is out there being talked about, too, you know, um, 
But what was your you wrote that and published that in? Uh, uh, I haven't got it online yet. But I think also that Kimberly Strassel is right. Yeah, she a, she got she had the column about the poll results in today's Wall Street Journal. So she got yeah, the great gave I'm her the uh, story. Yeah, I'm she actually at. wrote it up better than we could, which is why you give it to someone like her. A very very brilliant article. I'm looking at it right now. Maybe we talk about it, we get back. And uh, you know, it's, it's right on. And um, the rich people are elite, and that helped explain America's cultural divide. Well, the other thing is got. Well, we'll get back in a minute. The other thing that's kind of curious is uh, uh, giving away the rich people's money to get the rich people to have company. Uh, have bought these people. If you will, you know what I'm saying? In other words, if I'm the rich guy and I want people to be beholden to me, I'm going to waive the rules for them so they're beholden to me. Now, that doesn't work with me and the Republicans in the border. It darn sure works with me with the Republicans and the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats in the border. So, you know, in my mind, I, I look for a way to see the weak link in it. I don't know if there is or not, but the border is a troublesome, troublesome thing. And maybe not. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you something I saw the other day. And when we get back from the break and I see it all, well, I'll tell you before we're going to break right down the road here in our County, they're laying some sort of cable to uh, another side of our County it's being dug by hand, Phil, which is interesting. I mean, guys with a shovel and there probably were, 20 guys, you would have thought it was a chain gang. It wasn't the chain gang. It was all Mexican workers working for this company. And they were all digging the trench by hand. Bizarre. I mean, you know, come on, who else is going to do that? And they're out there doing it. And I'm thinking, well, that ain't all bad. You know, they're working. So anyway. Talking with Phil Kirkman's always a fertile mind, fertile discussions, AmericanCommitment.org, a lot of things to think about, and we get it rapid fire for you. Jump in here on the chat line and let us know what you're up to. We'll be right back with Ward's Weather in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com. 
and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome to Ward's Weather here, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Chevron Fossil Fuel, and they're a great uh, company, been here since 1962, and uh, really do a lot of good work in the community as well. So always, if you can, pull into a Chevron station and fill up with Lewis Oil. And Lewis Oil, by the way, also supplies a lot of other stations with their gas, so they're all over our community. We appreciate their support on the Ward Scott Files. Well, the weather here in our piney woods of north central Florida is nippy for us, but warm. I'm sure that Phil would trade places with me from his bunker in D.C. where he snowed in. But we got 54 now. We're going up to the low 70s, but we will be going down uh uh-huh, into the low 30s, upper 20s in the next day or two. And We'll been getting some rain. We don't get the snow. But practically everybody else is getting the snow. There is a bitter cold air headed to restart the lake effect snow. As you may have seen the Buffalo Bills game. Uh, my golly, what a blast of energy off that lake. And, of course, you're going to get it, according to the maps I'm looking at here, plowable, plow, plowable snow all over 18 states up the eastern coast. So uh, there you are. It is winter. It is January. And do what you can to take care of yourself. Talking with Phil Kirkman here uh, from American Commitment. We have posted also now, thanks to our production, uh, good, good production man, uh, Zach, who does this for us really, really well. Committee to Unleash. Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com. And on there is the poll uh, that uh, Phil and his writers worked on that was picked up in today's uh, uh, Wall Street Journal um, by Kimberly Strassel and talked about. So I guess that your work, Phil, has supplied the data for Kim to write off of. Uh, I suppose you do a lot of that sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah, Committed Unleash Prosperity is a pretty interesting project. It's uh, it's not really anyone's number one job, but it's like 
a lot of people's number two job. And uh, it's, it's a collaboration of a lot of the key supply side econo- economists and advocates. And so I do that with Steve Moore and uh, Steve Forbes and Art Laffer. And uh, David Malpass is now on as an, as a senior fellow. And uh, Casey Mulligan from University of Chicago is a senior fellow, E.J. Antoni. And we kind of try to keep the supply side flame alive for kind of the, the Reaganite view of tax cuts, deregulation, stable, strong dollar, uh, and so forth. And um, we actually do a free daily newsletter. If people want to get it, you can sign up on that website, CommittedUnleashedProsperity.com, uh, and uh, it kind of gets our view and our take on, on various things. And it was started uh, back in 2015 as a way to get all the Republican candidates to have good tax plans. And it's funny, um, Larry Kudlow was also originally one of the founding members, but he left when he went to the Wall Street Journal, and now he's at Fox. So he's not like officially, but he's still really part of it, kind of unofficially uh, and uh, advises and so forth. Um, but uh, it's a great story because they, they were working with all the candidates on their tax plans, uh, and all of them except Rubio uh, had pretty good tax plans. The Rubio one, not so much because he didn't take their advice. Uh, but uh, the story goes that Trump walked in, and he said, what's Jeb Bush's corporate rate? And they said 15. They said 20. And he said, okay, then mine's 15. Because <laughs> he had to have the lowest. He had to have the lowest corporate rate. Uh, but it started as a way to advise the candidates. And then sort of it's, uh, it's grown out of that in a way to generally keep the supply side flame alive, advise you know, candidates at all levels and daily put out the talking points for people like you and others to kind of get a supply side take on what's going on. And uh, it's... Um, We've gotten done a lot of studies and, and that kind of thing on different economic issues. And Steve Moore had this idea of like, wh- what the, the people who are pushing all of these insane things, the people who are controlling the universities and the media, like, what do they think? Like, what are their views? What, what's going on in their heads that they're actually doing these things that seem so insane and bizarre to us? And so that's uh, when, when we talked to Scott Rasmussen about trying to develop a survey uh, that would kind of define who the elites are and sort of get some insight into how they think about things and how they think about issues. And uh, that that's where this project came from. And uh, it, it is really striking, uh, these these numbers and just how, uh, you know, the fact that almost half of them, it's somewhere in the high 40s, almost half of them literally said there is too much freedom in this country. And that's pretty chilling, I think. And, uh, you know, it, it explains a lot. Emily Strassel addresses your committee right here. Uh, RMG research conducted for the committee to unleash prosperity. Mr. Rasmussen says that for more than a year, he'd been intrigued by consistent outlier data from a subset of Americans, which he later defined as those with a postgraduate degree, earning more than 150000 a year and living in a high-density area. I think that high-density area is pretty interesting, um, uh, Bill, do, something goes haywire in the human mind uh, when there's when they're packed too yes, close together. Yes. In high rise buildings, they go they go insane. We have a we have a friend who comes on the show uh, every once in a while and, and and talks to us about his approach. His approach is all off of geography. He starts with geography, which I thought was pretty interesting, and then drills down to see what is on that piece of property or city or block or whatever, and. There is a correlation, I'm not prepared to discuss it, but he could, between density, may I joke, and madness. <laughs> I mean, in a way, you know what I'm saying? Uh, 
Let me make an example. They know nothing about rural life. Absolutely nothing. They can't possibly know. We we have people come out here simply to see an animal. You know, just an animal. They don't see them. They want to know, well, you know, what is that? Uh, uh, that's a cow. Well, why is it all black? Well, it's an Angus cow. They also have red Angus cow. It's a what? You know, and it takes a special it takes a special kind of um, arrogance for people who live their whole life on concrete and asphalt to think that they can tell farmers how to farm, right? Uh, but that's the kind of people that are attracted to the federal government and the bureaucracies. And you know, they, one of the reasons that so many of the rules and regulations are so insane is that they have no they have no tether to reality. They have no bag. The people who are making these decisions have no ground level knowledge of the things they're trying to control and order and mandate. And, and according to your, your research here, large majorities of them, this is a real kicker in many ways, have a favorable view of university professors, journalists, lawyers. Who's that leave out? And members of Congress, come on. That's the whole bailiwick. Two-thirds say they prefer a candidate who said teachers and educational professionals, professionals, not parents, should decide what children are taught. Are you kidding me? Well, that's why they say, you know, when they sometimes slip up and say these things publicly, uh, like uh, Terry McAuliffe did in the Virginia governor's race a few years ago, uh, they lose because people think they're insane. But this is the consensus position among the elites is you're too stupid to educate your own kid. You don't know what's good for yourself and your family. And so, you know, the experts, the experts will do it. And they don't seem to be, they didn't seem to learn anything during COVID either because they still think that the idiot experts who were wrong about everything were right. They're, they're, they're impervious to reality. And what evidently is driving the deplorables, which they can't get a handle on, apparently they have no way other than name-calling to understand what deplorables' concerns are. But uh, evidently, your research does get to that because the average voter, which I guess is a deplorable to them, is um, not willing to pay a bunch of money for climate change, for example. Climate change, I think, is going to fall on its face, Bill. What do you think? The median, we actually... um did another survey recently uh, with with pollster Mike McKenna uh, with our friends at American Energy Alliance, which I'm on the board of. And and uh, we actually asked, this was a swing state survey. So it was like eight swing states for the presidential election. And Mike actually asked them, swing state voters, like, how much would you be willing to pay per year to solve global warming? And the median response was $10. Well, yeah. And of course, Democrats want you to pay like $10,000. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it, there's a total, total disconnect on the global warming issue between, you know, how important people think it is and what they're willing to give up and pay for it versus uh, what the Democrats are trying to impose. I mean, just the disconnect on the order of thousands of times. Uh, how do you see things lining up now? I don't want you to get you off and... Uh... I know you think all the time about 
things we think about. Trump and his, I think he's going to make it to the, I think he's going to make it out there to be voted on. I really do. I, I don't see how they're going to stop that. Have you got some? I, I have to assume that the Supreme Court is not going to allow states to take a, you know, the major party nominee for president off the ballot. I cannot, I, I, I find it difficult to believe that they will not. Now, they, they're going to go crazy attacking the court for that, but I think that he will oh, be yeah, on yeah. the ballot. I, I don't think they're going to be able to stop him from being on the ballot. But of course, um, they're probably going to hang criminal convictions on him because they've got all these fake trials running to attack him on all these different things. And, you know, that, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how voters are going to react when they say convicted, felon, Donald. I, I don't know. I, that's the big question mark, I think, for the general election is, will people say, you know, this was an outrageous persecution and they, you know, I'm going to vote for him to stick it to them? Or will they say, yeah, I don't know about putting a criminal. I, I don't know. That's the, I, I can tell you that the level of desperation that we're seeing from the left to throw every insane thing at this guy um, makes someone like me more likely to support him, not less. But I don't know what it's going to do to the average voter. And so that's why, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty, even though Biden is massively unpopular. I just, it, you know, the big question mark, I think, is what what happens what happens when they start handing down convictions in these phony cases. Uh, and and maybe maybe they won't be able to because appeals and whatever, it'll be stalled out. I don't know. But I think they are going to desperately try. And because they control, you know, so much of these courts and all, all this corrupt stuff, they're going to try to hand down the conviction and then say convicted criminal, convicted criminal over and over and over to see what that does with voters. Well, it's interesting that there's been talk about if that were to happen, successfully stymie the whole process. DeSantis is waiting in the wings. Um, I always thought that would be the back. You know, if the I problem were- is Trump can't Trump can't be forcibly removed and then someone else come in for him because the person who comes in for him would be hated by all the Trump supporters for being willing to step in. The only way that could happen would be if Trump says, you know what, I, I've got to step aside because I've got to deal with these insane attacks. He would have to do it willingly and endorse someone. And I don't know, I don't know that it would yeah. be wrong. I don't know who it would be, but um, I think that scenario is unlikely. Everything we know about Donald Trump, he's not stepping aside no matter what they throw at him. So I don't think that's going to happen. No, no, I don't think so. I think it would be the most contentious election in my lifetime. I can't think of one that has a possibility anyway. Well, the left gets crazier and more apocalyptic and more over the top with every election, right? I'm sure this one will be, you know, if you vote for Donald Trump, it's the end of the universe and, you know, you'll be collapsed into a black hole. And I don't even know what they're going to come up with, but I'm sure it's going to be even more insane and apocalyptic and over the top even than last time because they just escalate every time. Oh, Remember uh, when George Bush was history's greatest, uh, most evil person to them? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now it seems almost quaint because they've said everything times a million. You know, it's, uh, they just keep. I'm with Phil Kirpin here, American Commitment. We've also posted uh, on the chat line here um, the um, Internet connection for the poll that we we're talking about that Kimberly Strassel ended up writing a little more detail about. It came out today on, in the Wall Street Journal. So uh, anything you've got to talk about in the chat line? In the chat line, uh, 
that I'm looking at here, Phil, is solid Trump. I mean, they are saying I'm here for the duration. So, and I'm not that this is going to reflect the whole bailiwick, but I think it's well. A I mean, look, what kind of what kind of person abandons the guy because of you know fake and trumped right, right. up charges against him? You can't. I mean, that's insane. I actually think the all of the crazy lawsuits and trials and charges against Trump probably helped him beat DeSantis, right? Because oh, people yes. say, look, I can't let them get away with it. People, oh, that's definitely. the normal reaction. If you're a conservative, you say, I can't let them get away with what they're doing. I got to be with them. I got to back him up. Definitely. I think what they did, they didn't understand it. And here's what I saw work with Martin Luther King. King taught his people. Nobody's been able to do it since in terms of the black movements that you don't resist the aggression of the aggressor because the people champion an underdog. And when you get pushed around enough and don't fight back, the people will take your side. That was from Gandhi with the British. That happened. That's what happened. And he was able to be nonviolent and move people in in a different political direction. And in effect, Trump hasn't been able to fight back. You get the analogy here, Phil? He hasn't been able to, except he lips off in court once in a while. But that makes him more sympathetic because there's only a one-sided conversation. So, right, I think that they did. And yet it's ironic that the Democrats never understood the similarity between what they were doing to Trump and what was being done to Martin Luther King. Well, you know, I, it's hard to say. It's hard to say exactly what their strategy is. I mean, they may have, they may have known that there would be a rally around Trump, and they may have thought this was the way to make sure he's the nominee, and then we're going to knock him out with the convictions. But you know, if that's what they're thinking, it's the same thing that when Hillary had her Pied Piper strategy and said, "Oh, we're going to build up Trump because he'll be so easy to beat." I mean, you know, you got to be careful what you wish for sometimes, and uh, it could really blow up on them. I think. Uh, if, you know, if they hand down a conviction and it looks ridiculous to any sensible person, then they're going to side with him, not with them. Right. So I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they're thinking and why they're acting the way they are. I mean, I, we know why the Georgia case uh, was developed the way it was, which is that she gave a million dollar contract to the guy she was having an affair with. Right? <laughs> and they're taking vacations. Also, that was just like the oldest story in the world on that one. But. I mean, there's so many. Of them. I don't know what the story is on all of them, other than they, they, you know, they thought this was. They they think this is the way to beat him in a general election. Maybe they're right. I don't know. We'll see. Well, it's just one attack, as you know, from this uh, 2016 on. I have never known a person in politics to have as much free political advertisement as Trump. I, can you think of a single day? Right. How about even before he was in politics, who got right. more like free promotion for his businesses and his TV shows and everything else? I mean, the guy's like, you know, the guy made himself a billionaire basically on self-promotion and getting media to hype him all the time. And so, yeah, nobody's done it on the political stage, but nobody had really done it to his scale on the non-political stage either. That's kind of the guy's unique talent, right? Is making everything about him and the Trump name. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, that's his, that's his greatest ability, I guess. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how he does it exactly, but, you know, I think a lot of it for 2015 is they thought we're going to hype this guy nonstop all the time because he'll lose to Hillary, right? 
and it didn't work out for them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Made him back then. They were laughing at him, and that made him champion because he was the people talking about the people's concerns, and they weren't. Uh, what you're doing with the research here bears that out, and uh, that's not going to change. I don't see. I don't see it changing. Um, except there was one thing that really was hopeful. Trump was conciliatory after he won Big Iowa. That was one of his best speeches in a long time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was, he has the ability, as powerful as he is, to put it back together, I think. Well, look, I don't know any DeSantis supporter is not going to support Trump in the general election, do you? I mean, there may be a handful here and there who say they won't, but at the end of the day, they're going to walk oh, they in will. over Joe Biden. I mean, come on. Oh, they will. But my point is... Uh, Actually, I mean, some of the Nikki Haley supporters will vote for Joe Biden, but you know what? They were always going to. They're just trying to mess up the primary. Right, 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 right. I'm not an enthusiast for Nikki Haley, but, uh, and, you know, there's certain things that I can't, I don't trust her. Really. I just, I just don't trust her. Well, we're down at the end of the show. It's always great to hear from you, Phil. Um, what are you going to do the rest of the day? Shovel snow? Well, when it stops snowing, I'll shovel. I'm not going to do more than once. So right now it's still snowing, but I will, I'll shovel. I'll, I don't know. Try to keep the kids from going crazy. You don't have a machine that does it for you? <laughs> no, I mean I don't have. I mean I'm in, I, I'm I don't have a lot of sidewalk. It's not it's not a huge job. So no, <laughs> I, I I do it with an, I just do it with a shovel. Good for you. Good for you. Well, thanks for checking in with us. It's always great. And uh, thanks for turning us on to these uh, websites. And we spread the word. And I'm gonna check them out. And I'm gonna subscribe to the letters. And okay. On the new one, I had new. I didn't know about the new one. Okay, and, you'll like it. You'll like it. Yeah, I like it. It comes under Steve Moore's name. He's the he's the I do the first draft, he does the final edit and it goes under his name. So that's good. Two People like it. Two M O O R E. Steve Moore, yeah. Two of them. Okay. M O O R E. From from okay. Heritage and Cato and Freedom okay. Works. And- okay. Listen, everybody have a great weekend. It's going to look a cold here. But you know, Phil's got it worse, but you get too cold, think of our buddy up there in D.C. And uh, you won't have snow to shovel. So maybe build you a far if you got one. Have a great weekend, Phil. Take uh, care, buddy. Hard. Hold on, Command Center out.